So we're talking about the way of following Jesus. Last week, we talked about the way of service. We cannot talk about following Jesus without realizing that following Jesus means having a mission. A mission. Christianity is not simply a set of beliefs that we hold in our heads or even our hearts, but we're on a mission. And I hope that we will see that the mission that we have as Christians, it is a compelling mission. And as I thought about that this week, I wanted to look into different mission statements that are out there, different corporate mission statements. A good mission statement is one that is inspiring. And so I want you to check these out and see if you can guess which companies they represent. So the number one mission statement for us today is this, spreading the power of optimism. Can you guess what company exists to spread the power of optimism? You'll love it. What is it? It is. Life is good. Isn't that great? I mean, you can't put on a life is good t-shirt without feeling a little better about the day, right? That's an inspiring mission statement. Next mission, uh, mission statement is this, to inspire, educate, and outfit for a lifetime of outdoor adventure and stewardship. So kind of may have a little more of a clue what this company might be. Let's see. It's Phil Wright, REI. So if I'm working at REI, hopefully I'll keep that mission statement in mind to remind me I'm not just selling tents or gear, but I'm trying to inspire a love for the outdoors. Okay, last one. Um, Here it is. Make everyday life better. Where are you going to go if you want to make everyday life better? Where do you think? Amazon, you go to Ikea. (laughs) You're not just selling, if you're an employee of Ikea, you're not just selling prefabricated furniture, you're making life better. So a good mission statement inspires, right? Um, it, It points to something much bigger than just making a profit. Even a plain company can come up with a good mission, and it makes you think, what is the mission of the church? And it better be inspiring, right? What's our mission? Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them every, to obey everything that I have commanded you. Inspiring mission to go out. Make disciples. Or how about this inspiration from Paul in Romans uh, chapter 10? He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one? Go back. I don't know it well enough to... And how can they... (laughs) How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? God sends us, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, the gospel. 
gospel means good news. Today we're talking about the gospel way, our mission of proclaiming the gospel. So let's look at what Paul writes about this mission in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 29. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in all of its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. As we look at this text, I want to share three things it says about sharing the gospel. And the first is this, to share the gospel with clarity. See, one of Paul's major aims in this letter is to provide clarity of the gospel to a church, this church in Colossae, that is increasingly being um, bombarded by the latest false teaching of the time. So I hope you don't mind doing this this morning. Put on your history cap for about two minutes. Your history cap, that doesn't mean that you love history or an expert in history, but you just wouldn't mind for two minutes thinking about history with me. In Paul's time, one of the prominent religious views was something known as Gnosticism. It was a wide, it was kind of a, a diffuse, um, uh, spread everywhere teaching that was a false teaching, Gnosticism. You may have heard of that. It comes from the Greek word for knowledge. And what Gnosticism said is that, well, it said a couple of things. One, it said that the physical world, the, the, the matter of the world, basically was, was tainted, was evil and that the spiritual world was much superior to the physical world. And so salvation for a Gnostic was found in two things. One, abstaining from the physical world as much as possible to try to connect oneself with the spiritual world. And two, by gaining some secret knowledge, secret knowledge. Now, how you obtain the secret knowledge and what the secret knowledge was, it's actually kind of a mystery because... The, the, the Gnostics didn't, didn't write down what their secret knowledge was about. It was supposed to be kind of orally told, and it was very, very fuzzy and unclear. 
and some of Christianity became tainted by Gnosticism. There were those who went around teaching of a Jesus plus salvation. They started teaching that, yes, salvation, the Christian Gnostics, that you receive salvation through Christ, but more than that, you needed to know the secret knowledge in order to have salvation. And so Paul writes to this church that is being bombarded with these this Gnostic teaching, and he says, that's not the gospel. And then he writes in verses 21 through 23 clearly, what is the gospel? So let's go through this. And you can, un- you can fill in these little underlined things in your notes if you would like to. It says, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, without and free from any accusation, this is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Notice every creature, not just, not just the, the ones who, who are lucky enough to get the secret knowledge, but to every creature under heaven. So what does he say is the gospel? Well, first Paul describes the great problem, and that is that you were alienated, that you were separated from God. Why were we at one time separated from God? Because at one time, we were all God's enemies. We read from this. We're God's enemies. Now, that is not a popular thought today, that someone might be an enemy of God. It's one thing to admit that evil behavior does exist. But Paul seems to be telling his audience, at one time, we were all guilty of evil behavior. I didn't include this in the sermon today because I thought it would just be too long. Um, if I think one of the, the uh, most helpful resources to us to get just in tune with behavior that might not seem evil, but, but is just take a look at the Ten Commandments and take a look at what the Heidelberg Catechism says it really means to to follow the Ten Commandments, because if you're like me, you can read through the Ten Commandments and think, oh, I'm, I can check all these off. I'm, I'm being obedient to God. I'm, I'm not committing murder. I'm not committing adultery. I'm, 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 uh, I'm not building any false idols. And then you read what the Heidelberg Catechism says it means to follow those Ten Commandments, and, and you think, whoa, I'm... I'm, I'm actually failing at all of these. So just a little, just a little, uh, maybe a teaser. Check out um, the Ten Commandments and what one of our church confessions says about really being obedient to the Ten Commandments. So Paul says, listen, we're all guilty at one time of this evil behavior. But then Paul gets to the good news. The good news is this. He writes, you've been, verse 22, reconciled. You've been reconciled with God. Um, now, how does it happen that, and what, well, first of all, what does being reconciled with God mean? It means that we've gone from being God's enemies to being God's friends. When you're reconciled to someone, there's been a rift. You've gone from being an enemy 
to, to friends. So being reconciled to God means going from an enemy of God, going from being an enemy to God, of God to being a friend of God. And how does that happen? How does that reconciliation happen? The Gnostic in Paul's time would say, by gaining that secret knowledge. And Paul says, no, no, you've been reconciled by one thing and one thing only, and that is by Christ's physical body through death on the cross. There has been a substitution. His death, Christ's death, substituting for your death, or for the death that you deserve because of your evil behavior. There's been a substitution. And so now you are God's friend, which itself might be a little fuzzy about how God might see you. I'm God's friend, but what does that mean that God thinks about me? So Paul gets very clear about how God sees you. How does he see you? Without blemish and free from any accusation. That's how God sees you. He sees you holy and without blemish. Your sins have been removed from his sight. Man, that's that's the gospel. I want us to be clear about the gospel this morning. Now, do we need such clarity of the gospel? I mean, there are, are there un, are there popular beliefs, kind of like Gnosticism back in Paul's day, are there, are there popular beliefs today that go against this gospel? Well, of course there are. I've mentioned before uh, a sociologist named Christian Smith. He was a sociology professor at, at uh, the University of Notre Dame. And uh, about a decade or so ago, he, um, he named what he believes is the fastest growing religion in the United States. And it's called moral therapeutic deism. I know some of you recognize that term, and I've mentioned it once before, at least once before in a sermon. Um, and essentially, it, it, the moral therapeutic deism has a very, very fuzzy, unclear gospel. So let me go through it. Here are the primary ter- tenets of moral therapeutic deism. First, a God does exist who created the world who oversees very passively human life. God is not very active in the world except to resolve big problems according to moral therapeutic deism. That's the deism part. Deism said that, yes, there is a God. God creates the world. But the way that God interacts in the world is kind of like a watchmaker who kind of winds up his craft, his creation, and just lets it go by itself and is there only to take care of really big catastrophes. Now, when this is your view of God, then God exists like a master of ceremonies for you, kind of gets you through the big moments in life, Christmas and Easter, maybe your, your wedding. Um, but he's, God's not an everyday presence in your life. So that's the first tenet of moral therapeutic deism. Second, God wants people to be good and kind and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible, and by many, many world religions. That's the moral part of moral therapeutic deism. But what actually is moral is is fuzzy. And this is one of the the big downfalls of moral therapeutic deism is uh, it's up to each person to 
gauge whether or not he or she is acting in a good way in what actually is considered to be moral. Now, these two points help set up the good news, the gospel, according to moral therapeutic deism. Okay, two more things to say. Third, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. That's the therapeutic part. So good news, moral therapeutic deism says, if you are a moral person, generally, then you can feel good about yourself. And the fourth point of moral therapeutic deism is how do you get into heaven? What do you think a moral therapeutic deist would say about how you make it into heaven? Just take a guess. Being, yeah, being moral, living that good moral lifestyle. That is what gains you access into heaven. And of course, you can see how that brings in more fuzziness to the good news. Because what is the minimum amount of goodness that you need to reach? in order to be confident that you'll go to heaven when you die. And listen, moral therapeutic deism is where a lot of people live today. God is fuzzy. God's place in my life is fuzzy. God's way for my life is fuzzy. And I'm just trying to be a good person and hope that that's enough. People need to hear a clear gospel today. Why do I love God? Because I was without hope. And I could not on my own be made right with God. I was an enemy of God because of my evil behavior. And so Jesus took on the full work of my salvation himself. And he died the death that I rightly deserved so that I could receive the life that he rightly deserved. And now I am God's friend whom God sees as holy and blameless and without accusation. So that's the gospel. We need to be clear about the gospel today. Second, share the gospel with conviction. In order to share the gospel in a way that is impacting on others, you have to be convinced of it yourself. In other words, the teachings of Christianity, the, the, the gospel itself needs to be more than just information to us. It has to be transformation for us. The gospel, if we have truly received it, 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 it changes us. Paul says, you've been reconciled. By, to God, by Christ's death. You've gone from being God's enemy to God's friend. And then look at the beginning of verse 23. It says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel night, fill in those words, hope and gospel. Because Paul is not writing this to cast doubt on the Colossians. He's not writing this so the Colossians will wonder, hmm, am I really saved? And Paul is not adding any, any requirement to their salvation. We're not saved by Christ. And then also through our ongoing obedience and faithfulness to Christ. That is not how we are saved. If you ever hear from someone that 
we receive salvation. Our salvation depends on Christ plus something else. Something that we must do or keep doing. Do not believe them. Rather, Paul is expressing confidence that the gospel is going to fill us with hope. So in order to to proclaim the gospel persuasively, we need to think through, we need to be sure of ourselves, how is it that the gospel brings us hope? How does the gospel bring you hope? You know, we've all had someone share some recommendation to us, right? Maybe a, a great restaurant that they, you know, they went to. Oh, you need to go to this restaurant, or here's a great recipe for dinner. What makes that recommendation persuasive when they say, oh, you got to try it. I had it myself. It was wonderful. Not, eh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's good. I don't know. Um, we have to... We have to be changed by the gospel. In in chapter 4, Paul talks about, uh, in chapter 4 of Colossians, Paul talks more about sharing the gospel with others. So I want to look at this. If you want to flip to chapter 4, a few pages to your right, uh, Paul's going to give us a few things that I want us to notice. When we share the gospel, it should be full of prayer and grace and that it should be seasoned with salt. So look at this passage, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Paul writes, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, proclaiming the gospel, so that we may proclaim this mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So there's that clarity point again. We want to uh, proclaim the gospel with clarity. And do you notice how much Paul is mentioning pray? Pray, pray, pray for me, pray for us, pray for an opportunity. And then he says in verse 5, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. How do you keep a conversation full of grace? Certainly using gracious words, kind words. I think Paul largely is talking about tone. That we're not coming across as angry or arrogant or outsmarting someone, but we're just, our tone is humble and pleasant. I I read uh, that, I've read that 90% of the friction of daily life is caused by the wrong tone of voice in our interpersonal communications. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but even if it's 50%, wow, that makes me want to be really aware of the tone that I'm using. I want to come across as gracious when I'm talking to others. And season your conversations with salt. And that means primarily, I think, that we should speak in a compelling way, in a way that urges, inspires someone, like we really believe it, like we're giving that recommendation to the restaurant because 
we love it. Like it's made a difference in our lives. And that means we think hard about what the gospel means to us, the effect that the gospel has had on our life. And when you do that, I think it always starts with what God has done for us in Christ that moves us towards hope, the hope that we have based on what God has done for us in Christ. So think about starting, maybe not a conversation, but in your own thoughts, in your own thinking about how the gospel gives you hope. Think about it. Think about starting it like this. Jesus died for me on the cross, making me God's friend instead of God's enemy. And that gives me hope. Jesus died for me on the cross, making me God's friend instead of God's enemy. And so I have hope. And so I know that God does not count any of my sins against me, but I am a new person. I'm a new man. Or I'm a new woman in God's sight. I'm forever pure. You hear the hope? That comes from what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Or Jesus died on the cross, making me God's friend instead of God's enemy, so that I'll know that I'll, I'll receive the reward of heaven and of eternal life with, with God. Or Jesus died for me on the cross, making me God's friend instead of God's enemy, so I know that God is, is never angry with me, but He is with me. And He's ultimately for me. Jesus died for me on the cross, making me God's friend instead of God's enemy. So I know that there is not one thing that I go through that God will not use for my ultimate good because I'm his friend. Jesus died for me on the cross, making me God's friend instead of God's enemy. So I know that I belong to him. And I don't have to find my own value, I can rest in the infinite value that God has given to me because He has said to me, you are mine. You belong to me. How has the gospel given you hope? So part of your action plan when we get to it at the end is to to write that down. Know why you believe and you treasure the gospel. That is your salt. That's your salt. And in sharing the gospel, I want you to notice what we read at the end of this passage from Colossians chapter 4. We don't need to force conversations. We pray that God would open opportunities. And we watch for those opportunities. And then we speak from how we've been changed by the gospel. And then we answer questions. If someone has questions, notice what is missing from that. Us having to convince anyone. Us having to feel like, oh, the pressure's on me to win this this conversation. No, I'm just sharing how the gospel has changed me. And then I see if someone has questions and I answer them. And we let God do whatever he wants to with that conversation. So we share the gospel clearly. We share it with conviction. And the third thing, um, share the gospel within a context. You might want to, in your note sheet, change it from with 
to, to within on this last one. We're sharing the gospel within a context. Now, what do I mean? I want to look at verse 28 again, but I want to give it to you how the New American Standard Bible puts it, which is more of a word-for-word translation of what Paul would have, would have actually written. Um, and this is how it goes. We proclaim him admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. Can you see what the focus of that verse is? It's every person. The gospel is for every person. And sharing the gospel within a context means that we recognize that every person brings a context with them. Every person has a hurt or a fear or a longing or a struggle or a disappointment that the gospel can answer. So know each person's context by listening, by looking. Which is exactly what Paul does when he writes this letter to Christians who are being bombarded by this false Gnostic teaching. He listens, he watches, he knows their context, and then he shares the gospel to them. So can you imagine Paul hearing of false teachers coming into this church in Colossae and telling believers that there is something additional that they must do for their salvation in order for it to be complete. So he pleads with them, believe the true gospel. Every person is made complete in Christ alone. That's what Paul writes in this passage. He's proclaiming the gospel within a context. In verse 29, he writes, to this end, I strenuously contend with all energy, that Christ has so powerfully worked in me. It's his mission. It's his mission. The the word for strenuously contend comes from the word where we get our word agony. Um, I think he uses the word agonazomai. That's where we get our word agony or agonize, which is not like a a suffering term necessarily. Back in Paul's time, it it was an athletic term. It was used for the training of an athletic event. Think of someone going through the, the agony, uh, the, the, the commitment needed to train for a marathon, just that rigorous training. And Paul is saying, that's the commitment that I'm bringing to this mission of proclaiming the gospel to every person because the gospel is for every person. Now, I remember um, a moment. Let me give you a, a failure story. I remember a moment. Uh, it was, I think it was when Susan, Susan, my oldest daughter Susan, when she was, was, uh, when she was a baby, she was born in the hospital. So we were at the hospital. I was at the hospital. And I remember riding in the elevator um, in the parking lot. It was just by myself, going home for something. I don't know. Going this elevator, um, and there was a there was a man I didn't know in the elevator, and asked him how's it going, and he told me about a family member who was in that hospital who was not doing too well, not doing too well, and he did not look good. 
Now, Paul says, make the most of every opportunity, does he not? Well, I did not make the most of this opportunity. Um, There is so much that I could have said. This is what I did say. Something like muttering, well, good luck. Okay, that was, that was not, not like good luck. Tone, you know, tone of voice is important. Um, good luck with that one. It wasn't that. But it certainly was not anything more than saying, well, good, good luck. You know, it was, it was a missed opportunity. There's so much more that I could have said. What could I have said if you were in that moment? How about I'm a person of faith and I will be praying for you? How about that one? I could have said that. I could have said, I'm a person of faith, and I believe that God is with you and knows your loved one and is with them. I could have said that. There's so much I could have said. Um, And in that moment, I resolved, God help me. I will not shrink back from talking about you when I have that chance again. Do not be afraid to speak of your hope in the gospel in public. Don't be afraid of saying things like, you know, I heard something at church last week that that I really loved, that was really helpful for me. Or, you know, I've been praying about this lately, just in casual conversation. I've been really praying about this lately to someone. Or, you know, one of the Bible verses that I, I really love is this, and it's helpful for me because of this. I mean, these are just lines that we can give to anyone, anytime. Or I'm a person of faith, and I saw what you did for that person. I think God would just love what you did. These are all things that might prompt a question from someone. Let us not shrink back from the opportunities God gives us to proclaim the gospel. So my question, will you commit to praying? and relying on the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and with clarity, and with conviction, and within a context, sharing the gospel. We can do that because Jesus committed himself to us. He came into our context. He saw us without hope in the world and became a human being. So he could walk among us so that he, fully God and fully man, could take the place that we deserved on the cross, dying the death that we deserved, so that we could receive the reward that he deserved, eternal life with God. He was committed to that race God has set before him. As we close, so here's here's the action plan. Look at the look at that sheet, the, the note sheet. Three questions for you to consider. One, have I responded to the gospel? You may be here this morning and and not have responded to the gospel of Christ. That he has made the way to an eternal relationship with God through his death on the cross, providing forgiveness of your sins. And if you're here this morning and you're worried about But you might this morning say, yeah, that's evil behavior. Or you might say, you know, it just kind of, I missed that one. Well, I was evil, but I missed it. It wasn't, it wasn't the right thing. If you're, if you're living, if you're worried that God is 
going to count your sins against you one day. Know the gospel that Jesus' death provides forgiveness of your sins. And you can respond to that gospel right now and give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ and invite him into your life because he wants to come into your life. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So one, have you, have you responded to the gospel? Two, how have I been shaped by the gospel? What is my salt? And I want you to, to write, write, think about that. Christ has died on the cross for me so that I could go from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. And that gives me hope. And just write about the hope that that gives to you. You may have to think about that this week. What is the hope that the gospel gives to you? And three, who am I praying for to respond to the gospel? What are the opportunities that God is going to give to me to share the gospel? Pray for those opportunities. Um, will you write something down in your note sheet? That's, that's the action plan this week. And as we pray, as we look for the leadership of the Holy Spirit, as we consider the hope that we have, God will send us on the mission that he has for us, and that is living out, proclaiming the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you that you were fully obedient to God in his race that led you to the cross, dying in our place. Lord, we pray that that would not be some private bit of information that we keep a secret, but rather that we are very liberal with how we share that with others. Lord, we pray for your opportunities. We don't want to feel like we have to manufacture any moments, but we trust that you will lead us because, not ultimately because of our love for people, but because of your love for people, people that you cherish and that you've died for. Lord, we commit ourselves to your mission this morning. Give us the power and the love of your Holy Spirit so that we can be faithful to our mission. In Jesus' name, amen.